Genesis chapter 47. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me, and he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. Genesis 48. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and set up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me, and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a, a company of peoples, and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine, Ephraim and Manasseh. They shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are, and the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Padan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh. Crossing his hands for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless thee, boys. And in them let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Hebrews 11. By faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer. Our Father, we pray that you would bless us. We pray by your grace and by your mercy that you'd bless us this morning with more of yourself, that we would see you and see the gospel clearly, and that we would be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever noticed how words can change their meaning? This phenomenon is known as semantic drift. It is 
this phenomenon about how words can linguistically change over time. Sometimes this drift has just a simple semantic meaning. For example, the word nice used to actually mean foolish. Today, we use the word nice to say that somebody is kind. A word can change from having a negative meaning to a positive one. Or sometimes in linguistics, a word can have a very positive meaning and change to a word that has a negative meaning, like the word awful. Originally, the word awful meant full or worthy of awe. God is awful. But today we don't use that word that way, do we? The word just means bad. Sometimes words can change just because of how they're phrased. Sometimes it's because of many different linguistic explanations. And sometimes a word can change because the culture has changed. Sometimes a word changes not because of semantics, but because of society. That a culture can change so much that a word that we use in everyday language is no longer relevant. Take the word blessed. Originally, the word blessed meant to endow, that God has endowed us with his sovereign mercy and favor. The word blessed meant to be consecrated, to be made holy. Today, we don't really use the word blessed that way, do we? If you think about the word blessed, the word blessed itself is passive. It assumes that there is something transcendent, something outside of us that is the one doing the blessing. But today, you and I live in a very flat culture. In other words, there's no transcendence in the world around us. There's only that which is imminent, only that which is right in front of us, only that we can see and taste and touch. And so the word blessed doesn't make sense anymore in our culture. And so the way that we use it today is something altogether different. Now, I don't know if you know what a hashtag is, do you? If you know what a hashtag is, it's the way that people mark their tweets or posts on Instagram, a way to search all of the ways that people post in our culture through social media. And all you have to do is to search hashtag blessed to know the ways that we use the word today. Pictures and posts about a new car, a new house, a new job, getting into grad school, a dollar off of a burger, right? A sale at Trader Joe's. Winning a basketball game, getting an hour of sleep extra in the morning, all with the hashtag blessed. This word has become so flattened that it's really become the ultimate humble brag. You know what I'm talking about? A phenomenon that's become so common that the New York Times actually wrote, I kid you not, an article about it a couple years ago. And I quote, Calling something blessed has become the go-to term for those who want to boast about an accomplishment while pretending to be humble. Have you ever been that way? Have you ever tried to do that before? You want somebody to see what you have, but you don't want to be boastful about it, right? And say, oh, I've just been blessed. What can I say? I'm blessed. How did this happen? 
How did a word that we used to use to describe the outpouring of God's grace in our life become so vain? Our culture has changed. We've removed the blesser from his blessing. And in our secular age, we have charted a course, a path, to try to achieve blessings on our own without the blessing of God. We've orphaned our father. We've estranged him. And now as prodigals, we are constantly striving and seeking and settling for the blessings of this life all in a hopeless attempt to be blessed without God. This morning, we continue our series through Hebrews 11, the story of Jacob. Now, on the outset, it makes a lot of sense that the writer of Hebrews would choose Jacob. Uh, He was a patriarch. He was the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. But if you think about who Jacob was and what his life was like, it's a bit ironic to think of him as this picture of faith when he struggled so much. Even more so when you think about all of the trouble in his life, that he would be an example not only of faith, but what it means to be blessed. It's in the final moments of his life that we will look at this morning, that we learn something about the true character, the true nature of what faith is, And the beauty of God's gracious blessing in our life. And we will see three ways, three blessings, God's covenant blessings that Jacob passes on to his grandsons. As if they were his own sons. Three blessings. The blessing of land, the blessing of family, and the blessing of redemption. And as we look at these blessings, we'll begin to learn something about ourselves. Why we so often strive and settle for the blessings of this life. And why God's blessings are so much better. So I want you to look with me in your bulletin or get out a Bible. Genesis 47 is where we'll begin the story. The first way that God blessed Jacob was with the blessing of land. Verse 29 says that when the time grew near, that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. Now at the outset, we have to get something clear. The first thing you need to know is about Jacob's name. God changed Jacob's name to Israel. And so when you read in verse 29 that the time came for Israel to die, he's not talking about the whole nation of Israel. He's talking about Israel, the person, Jacob. And God changed Jacob's name to Israel after he spent an entire night wrestling with God in the desert. Jacob, wrestling with God incarnate, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Wrestling to the point of even having his hip put out of socket. And telling God that he would not give up until God blessed him. It's an amazing story. 
And if I was preaching a sermon about faith, and I wanted to use Jacob as an example, that's where I would go. But that's not what the writer of Hebrews does. He doesn't choose that story. No, he chooses this story. Hebrews eleven twenty one. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. The picture not is of Jacob, this strong warrior, right, wrestling with God in the desert. No, the picture is Jacob at the end of his life. He is frail, he is feeble, he is dying to the point where he can't even bow himself all the way to the ground. And so he's just supporting himself on the head of his staff. And here he is, dying at the end of his life, and he blesses his grandsons. Why did he pick this story? Well, I think in many ways, we see in his story something that's familiar to us. A man who wanted to be remembered in death. And a man that wanted to be buried, not in the place that he died in Egypt, but the place that he came from, the land that he loved so dearly. We do that today in our culture as well, don't we? When our loved ones pass away, we typically don't bury them in their place of death, but we bury them in their hometown, their homeland, the land that they grew up, the land that they raised a family. And this is Jacob's last request to his son Joseph. He's saying, don't bury me in Egypt, but I want to go home. Bury me in the land that I've come from. You see, we take pride in our land, don't we? We take pride in our land. For centuries, land has been the center of war, the center of conflict, Great acts of heroism, great acts of injustice, all for the name of land. I remember when my wife, Jenny, and I bought our house over on the M Streets. I remember being very afraid, right? Wondering what in the world are we getting ourselves into? But I also remember getting this deep sense of pride that we, or really the bank and us, we own this little piece of land in the middle of Dallas, land that has dated all the way back to the 1930s. We have pride now for our street, for our neighborhood. We all have pride for where we live, don't we? Pride for the city of Dallas. Pride for the great state of Texas, right? Pride for the United States of America. We care deeply about our land. We all want to see our land prosper. But I want you to see this morning, Jacob's desire for land and his homeland was not just a sense of pride, but is out of a sense, a deep sense of faith. You see, Jacob believed that even in his death, God was going to fulfill his promise to bless him with land. And not just any land, but with the promised land. The land promised to his fathers, Abraham and Isaac. We see this in verse 3. Look with me. He says, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan. That's the promised land. And he blessed me and he said, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. I will make you a company of peoples. 
I will give this land to your offspring for an everlasting possession. By faith, Jacob is remembering God's promised blessing of land. A land that was promised to Abraham and then to Isaac and now to Jacob. A land that he is now passing on to his grandsons. Now in the Bible, the promised land was not just a physical place. It wasn't just the land of Canaan. But it was also understood to be deeply spiritual. And we see that here. Over and over and over again, we see God promising land, the land of Canaan. He says it's going to be a land for an everlasting possession. An everlasting possession. Land for eternity. What's he talking about? He's talking about heaven. He's talking about heaven. The promised land for an everlasting possession. Abraham Isaac, Jacob, and now Ephraim and Manasseh. If it's anything that the events over these past several weeks in our country have shown us, it's just how deeply broken our land really is. And it hurts, doesn't it? It hurts to know that all the strife, all the pain, all the violence not only exists in our country, exists right here in our city. And we mourn. We grieve. Why? Because we don't want to see our land broken. We want to see our land be prosperous. My friends, I want you to know this morning that God has fulfilled his promise. We do not lose hope. The writer of Hebrews will go on to tell us in Hebrews 13 that we have no lasting city here. But we are seeking a city that is to come, a heavenly city, a new land, a land for an everlasting possession. And so we do not place our hope here in Dallas, Texas, or in our state, or in our nation, but we place our hope in the sovereign kingdom of Jesus Christ, that one day a new heaven and a new earth will come. And with it, there will be no more crying, no more pain, no more brokenness, that all things will be made new. But until that day comes, until Christ returns to heal our broken land, what do we do? What do we do when we see our land being torn apart right before our eyes? Well, we pray. First, we pray. We pray the words that Jesus taught us to pray. That his kingdom would come and his will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And we seek. We seek the peace and prosperity of our city because Jeremiah tells us that in its welfare, our welfare will be also. And we place ourselves as the church to be a city on a hill to light up the darkness. And we, like Jacob, believe and we trust that God will fulfill his promise. His promise to heal our land and to bring to us a new heavens and a new earth. That's the first blessing. The second blessing we see Jacob pass on to his grandsons is this. The blessing of family. Look with me at verse 5. Verse 5 of Genesis 48. 
Jacob says this. He says, now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, now they are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are. I don't want you to miss what Jacob is doing here. Jacob is embracing the sons of Joseph, his own grandsons, as if they were his own. And that's why Jacob then gives them the blessing that would be normally given to Joseph. Look with me at verse 10. It says, Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. And Joseph brought them near, and he kissed them and embraced them. Now, if you were here last week, this should remind you of something, right? It should remind you of Isaac blessing Jacob. See, Jacob's father Isaac, towards the end of his life, he couldn't see either. And Jacob used that as an opportunity to trick him. Well, now here is Jacob, and he cannot see. But now it's no trick. Now he is freely blessing because of grace. The place of family blessing is central to the book of Genesis. It's interesting, if you look up the word blessing in Genesis, you'll find that some form of it's used 88 times. Other than the word God, blessing is the most constant, most frequent word used in the book of Genesis. There's no other book in the Bible that uses it as much. So I think it's safe to say that Genesis, just as much as it's a book about beginnings, Genesis is a book about blessing. The blessing of God being passed down from generation to generation to generation. And so it makes sense that part of God's blessing every time when he blesses his people is that he's blessing them with a promise of family, with offspring, that the legacy of God would be carried on, that it would be passed down, that his promises would come through the family of God. So God comes to Abraham, and that's passed down to Isaac, and then passed down to Jacob. All of this beginning with a promise. A promise we see in Genesis 15. A promise that he gives to Abraham. God brings Abraham, tells him to look up at the night sky, and this is what he says. He says, look towards the heaven. Number the stars, if you can even number them, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed God, and he counted to him his righteousness. This is why Jacob was so moved to see his son Joseph alive, and why he was so moved to know that now Joseph has sons of his own. Jacob is seeing the promised blessing of offspring fulfilled, generation after generation after generation. And even in our culture today, we count blessing when it comes to family. Right? The blessing of children, the blessing of parents and grandparents, of siblings, aunts and uncles. We use that word when we describe our family. In many ways, we use it properly, understanding that we can't even control our family and where it comes from. But because of that reason, just as family could be a blessing, family also so often has a deep sense of brokenness, isn't it? Of disappointment, of hurt, of pain. A father who's not there for us. A marriage that comes to an end, tears a family apart. A child who's been lost too early. In all these ways, family hurts. And so this morning you might be wondering, okay, that's great. God's promised offspring. He's promised blessing, but 
I don't have a family. And I feel so alone. Where's God's blessing in that? Brothers and sisters in Christ, I want you to know this morning that the promise of blessing a family transcends any kind of genetic lines. This is what Paul says in Galatians. He says, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons and daughters of God through faith. And there is neither nor Jew nor Greek, no slave nor free, no male no female, you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, and you are heirs of the promise. What is he saying? He's saying it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter your background or your ethnicity or your race. It doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have or your zip code or what street you're from. It doesn't matter how big your family is or how small it is. You are brothers and sisters in Christ. And through faith now, you are the answer to God's promise all the way back in Genesis 15. You are Abraham's offspring. When God took Abraham aside and said, look towards the heaven and number the stars, that's us. All of us in faith, we are those stars. And now that means that we are heirs, heirs of God's promise of blessing. We're family, the family of God. The last and final way that God blessed Abraham that I want to look at this morning is the blessing of redemption. I want you to look at verse 13. It says this, Joseph took them both, it's his grandsons, Ephraim in his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and he brought them near. And Israel stretched out his right hand, and he laid it on Ephraim, who was the younger. And in his left hand, he stretched it out on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. Do you see what Jacob just did? He just blessed the younger above the older. Does that sound familiar? Part of his own story. You see, the name Jacob literally means heel grabber. A much worse connotation literally means cheater. Sorry for your name Jacob this morning. Literally means cheater. It's an unfortunate name, but it actually describes the beginning of Jacob's life. From birth, Jacob was constantly striving and manipulating and cheating his way to blessing. Constantly working and even wrestling to earn the blessing of God. And so it's interesting that now at the end of his life, Jacob is not tricking anyone. But he is freely and graciously giving his blessing to the younger over the older. Look with me. Verse 18, Joseph sees this and he says, not this way, my father, since the, this one is the firstborn, you need to put your right hand on his head. Maybe Joseph just assumes, well, he can't see and maybe he got confused. But Jacob's not confused. He says, I know, I know my son, I know. He shall become a people and he will also be great, but nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he. And his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So why does Jacob do this? Ask yourself, 
Why would Jacob do this? Why does he continue this pattern of blessing the younger over the older? Because I think Jacob learned firsthand that the blessings of God can't be earned. It's not about a birthright or any other kind of status you think you can achieve. No, the blessings of God are all about his grace, the grace of redemption. And so it's quite a transformation, isn't it? Jacob spent a lifetime trying to cheat and manipulate and steal and earn his way to the blessing of God. And here he is at the end of his life, graciously giving that blessing to the younger for no reason other than by faith. I think Jacob learned when he was wrestling that angel, God incarnate in the desert, that you can't bless yourself. We see this in the blessing itself, verse 15 with his hands on his grandsons, it tells us that he blessed Joseph. He said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. Who's he talking about? The angel he wrestled, God incarnate in the desert. The angel he wrestled with, the angel who blessed him, the angel who changed his name. We're a lot like Jacob, aren't we? Constantly spending our lives trying to wrestle our way to God. To earn his favor, to strive after the blessings of this life while pushing him out of it. Right now, if you search hashtag blessed on Instagram, don't do it right now. Don't do it at all because you'll see some crazy things. But it will tell you this. 55,857,848 entries. Pictures of lake houses and vacations. Puppies, cars, motorcycles. All strivings, all wrestlings, all searching for self-blessing, all trying to find self-redemption. Why do we seek after the blessings of this world? It's not just because they're idols, which they can be. And in many ways, some of these things aren't even bad in and of themselves. But the problem is that we think these things are going to make our lives better. We think these things are going to redeem our brokenness, to heal our land and to heal our families, to make up for the fact that we are so lacking. And you know what? I think we're tired. Because deep down we know it doesn't work. Brennan Manning in his book, Abba's Child, says this. He says, the authentic Christian tension is not between life and death, but between life and life. What's he mean? Well, it means that the tension of the Christian life is not between things that we know will obviously destroy us and things that give us life, but it's the things that promise us life that we so easily pine after that distract us from the only one who can truly redeem us. That's the tension. That's the struggle. And so I wonder, are you tired Are you tired of striving after the blessings of this life only to find that they do not fulfill their promises? The name Jacob means cheater. Do you know what Israel means? 
It means God strives. And beauty of the gospel is this, that God is striving after you. He is striving after you. And though you strive after so many other things, just like me, God is striving after you, seeking to bless you because he loves you. And so this morning, we end with this question. Do you know the blessings of God? Do you know the blessings of God, the blessing of heaven, promised to those who believe and place their faith and trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you know the family of God, the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, with whom now you are enjoined as brothers and sisters? And do you know redemption, bought for you by the precious blood of our Savior? Better yet, do you know the God behind his blessings? How can a bunch of orphans who have estranged their own father ever know the blessings of God when they seek after all of these blessings here in this world? Well, the same way that Ephraim and Manasseh did by being adopted. I want you to look back at verse 5 again. Genesis 48, verse 5. And I want you to see this. Jacob says, Now your two sons, Joseph, who were born to you in the land of Egypt, before I came to you in Egypt, what does he say? They're mine. Jacob adopted his grandsons. Why? So that he could bless them in the place of his son, Joseph. And I want you to know this morning that God has adopted you so that he could bless you in the place of his son, Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in Ephesians 1, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he blessed us in the beloved. God has adopted you and he has made you his own all so that he could give you blessing upon blessing upon blessing, blessings that were due to Jesus Christ, that he is now graciously given to you. My wife has a dear friend from college who has just adopted a little girl, a little girl from China. She's two years old. Two years old. Two years spent in an orphanage without a mother or a father Two years spent with a birth defect. She had cleft palate. And when they found out that they were given this great gift and they were granted the right to adopt this little girl, even before they ever met her, they sent money over to have a surgery, to pay for her cleft palate, to have it repaired. Before they ever even met her, rather than having a baby shower, I love this, they had a toddler shower. And all their friends and family came over and they got every kind of doll and dress and little shoes and toys that you could possibly imagine. And they got on a plane and they flew all the way to China and they embraced this little girl as their very own. And she was given blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Why? Because she's no longer an orphan anymore. She's a daughter. She's been adopted and every blessing that this family has, they have now given to her. Brothers and sisters, even though we were once orphans, 
God pursued us as a faithful father. And he loved you so much that, get this, he orphaned his own son so that he might adopt you as sons and daughters. There is no greater blessing than that. Jesus Christ, the firstborn of all creation, he died and he rose again in your place so that by faith all the blessings due to his name would be given to you. The blessing of heaven, the blessing of the church, and the blessing of redemption. It is by faith in Jesus Christ that we are truly blessed. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, we thank you. We thank you that even while we were still sinners that you died for us. Even while we were estranged from you, even while we were orphans, we even chose our orphanage. That you sent your son Jesus Christ to die in our place and to rise again. And you've called us by name as your very own and you have lavished us with blessing upon blessing upon blessing. May we know you, our God and Father, this morning. And may we seek after your blessings, knowing that they are given freely and by grace and through faith alone. We ask them in your name we pray. Amen.